Ken starts off the episode with a lengthy breakdown on how Modelo took over the number one spot in beer in the U.S. and ponders if they will be there for the long haul. Wendy talks about the possibility for new alcohol consumption suggestions by the U.S. government. Rob gives us a rundown on how we can help the folks in Maui, and we go around trying to figure out if Gen Z is drinking more or less, partying more or less, and what that has to do with Labor Day coming up. Join us every single Friday, 7.15 p.m. Eastern for the interview and the news segment right after Better on Draft on Twitch, Facebook, and Kick. Whether your beer is in a bottle, can, or glass, kick back and relax. It's Better on Draft. Welcome, everybody. It's the craft beer news segment of Better on Draft. My name is Ken. Thank you so much for joining us. I truly appreciate it. If you listened earlier today, we had our interview with BJ's Brew House, and by God, they make some amazing beers. Don't let the corporate 200-plus stores fool you. They know what they're doing, and they sure as shit do it well. Once again, my name is Ken. I am drinking from BJ's, the Oasis Amber, and I'll be following it up with the uh, the Blonde, which is one of their top two sellers. They had the Amber, or excuse me, the Red. Uh, this The Oasis is the Amber, the Red Ale. Jeremiah Red is their top seller. If it is not the top seller, it is the blonde. Uh, Dan, welcome back. Thank you. A little uh, technical you, difficulties. That's yeah. all right. What's so, drinking? You know, real quick, you know, listen to the theme. I always think I should break out the bass lately when we do that and just fucking jam along. But um, I'm still working on that Speedway Stout since I didn't get to work on it too much, fixing everything. And then uh, from Ren House, I've got a Joe Max Coffee Stout follow it up with. And Wendy, what about you? What are you drinking? I have a committed double IPA from BJ's, and I also was able to crack open my Rochester Mills milkshake stout. Oh, yeah. Rob? Um, I am drinking a Four Hands from Anchorage Brewing in Anchorage, Alaska. I will say they always have the coolest can art. I don't know how well you can see it, but... So you, you had a Alaskan beer. That's an Alaskan brewery shirt you're wearing too, right? Uh, yep. Yep. I was obviously, has, obviously a last one. Nice. So. Perfect. Yeah, we had our episode with Alaskan Brewing last week, episode 324. Of course, if you're not seeing what we're seeing because you're listening via podcast, go check us out on all of our video streaming services. That is YouTube, Kick. Twitch and even Facebook, facebook.com forward slash better on draft, better on draft for all of them. Simple, easy to the point. Get to there to watch our shows. We are live Fridays at 7 15 p.m. Eastern. And of course, the news following after our interview. Now, as we go into the craft beer news segment, we are going to try something different here. Uh, as many of you know, I love to get on my soapbox, it's just my favorite place to stand. Uh, but a little bit different. I wanted to, to be a little teacher this week and explain to you a little bit about uh, how Modelo took over the number one spot in uh, beer in the United States. Now, for a lot of people, they don't know this story. Maybe they just feel that the controversy was enough. But there's a lot that went into this. And I did the research by watching other people's research and putting it into my own words. 
Uh, so in the grand theme scheme of things, imports are still young in the market of craft beer during the 1960s. Only 1% of beers in the U.S. were imported, and it was dominated by Heineken. And even by the end of the 70s, only 3% of beers in the U.S. were imported. Of course, as northern United States folks like ourselves, uh, we may have a different experience when it comes to imports with the likes of Labatt and Molson being readily available at any Michigan bar. Even after Labatt began brewing in the USA, we in Michigan still imported our Canadian beer from Canada proper. Down in Mexico, however, Corona was taking note and asked themselves why Heineken was the number one imported beer when they could be. They began their takeover in the U.S. throughout the 80s as they focused on Americans that enjoyed vacationing in Mexico for spring break, focusing on the younger crowd that had a decent amount of spending capabilities for luxury brands, including imports. Wasn't without their fair share of bumps, however, including a rumor that grew so big, folks actually believed Corona was created from employee urine. The company that started this rumor was actually taken to court and forced under oath to correct their false stories. Marketing took force with the iconic lime, iconic lime wedge. And by the end of the nineties, Corona was the number one beer and kept that going for nearly 20 years until the late 2010s. What is missing from this time frame, however, is that many people don't recall at that time, Anheuser-Busch actually invested a lot of money into Grupo Modelo, the owner of Corona, giving them three seats on the board. When AB InBev merged with A, or excuse me, when InBev merged with AB, we saw the full purchase of the company in 2012 for $20 billion or 20 ballast points. As we know, the U.S. rights of Grupo Modelo transferred to Constellation due to the antitrust suit, which is interesting because as I was researching this, I learned that Constellation wasn't even in the beer business before this happened. 2013 is the year that changed the game for Mexican beer with the new facility under Constellation and also began taking on sponsorships that we really only see in the world of Miller Coors and AB. From UFC to the Vegas Raiders, White Sox, Golden State Warriors, and more, in the five years from 2013 to 2018, became the number one import in the U.S. As I mentioned earlier, we know Labatt and Molson, but why didn't we see this with Modelo? Well, it's because they had their focus on Los Angeles. A powerful sales force got them into every bar, plastered the city with advertisements, billboards, and even before the events of 2023, were outselling Miller, Bud, and Coors combined in the city of Los Angeles. Beer economists believe that by 2030, Modelo would have organically taken the number one spot uh, as the number one selling beer. But now that it is there and months of free advertising being called the new king of beers may have solidified it as the top beer for years to come. That is your lesson of basically how Modelo supplanted themselves as the number one beer. They took over Los Angeles and organically was going to be the number one beer by 2030, according to people. So my question to you, as we've seen some of the biggest names in 2023 controversy already drinking Bud Light again, the influx of RTDs and seltzers grabbing the market of boaters and beachgoers, does Bud Light ever regain the number one spot or do we see any brand in the new f near future attempt to grab that number one spot? Dan, you like to listen to me talk. What do you think? <laughs> so, no, I mean, there's one idiot that you saw drinking a Bud Light. Modelo, you know, out here in Arizona, it's just like Los Angeles. It's in every single bar, no matter where you go. 
and people drink it because it tastes a lot better than any of the domestic, not just Bud Light, any of the domestic, um, you know, uh, loggers that are out there. So, no, Modelo is probably going to be up there for a while. And, you know, you got the whole Modelo time meme out there, too, that's been there forever. If you don't know, you got to look it up. So, no, it's not going anywhere for quite a while. Modelo on top of the UFC had a marketing campaign. Um, I believe it was called Drink Like a Fighter. Oh, and, yeah, they still have those Modelo. Yeah. And what a lot of a lot of people don't realize is the subtextual marketing, because while Modelo wasn't at the same price point as Bud Light, they still had the little golden flake at the top that you had to peel to get to the, the bottle cap. Um, a lot of people love that. They feel like that was the, um, you know, that that made them bougie. That made, made them fancy. Fancy, that's the word. And you know they have the Modelo Negro too, which is a great alternative if you oh, just don't want your Yeah, if you don't want your basic Mexican lager, the Negro is a really good alternative that a lot of people enjoy too. Like that's my go-to, you know, if I have a choice of it. Um it's just they got better options, I think, and it just tastes better. Well, I think the important thing to note is because of that Constellation Department of Justice U.S. them brewing uh, the beer um, and marketing and everything like that, like it's going to help with their other sales between Corona, Pacifico, Seoul, uh, Dos Equis, like all these other Mexican beer brands are entering into our market and doing extremely well. Uh, but Rob, what do you think? Um, yeah, obviously, I don't think... Bud Light's going to necessarily come back to be the top beer. Uh, I just feel a lot of people, when they were younger, that was the option they had, and they stuck with it through the years because they didn't want to try anything else. And now that people have started to try things, I definitely think they'll see, like, the Mexican lager has a much fuller taste than something like a Bud Light or a Miller Light does. And... While it's a little bit more calories for some of those people that count calories, I don't think it's going to be quite as extreme because there's still pretty light beers. Well, I I, I want to come back because you mentioned the, the the way you mentioned it. And in my mind, the first thing I'm thinking about is people that are buying multiple beers at the same time. Like I, I don't obviously there are a lot of people who are buying um but like buying beer, but when I think Bud Light, I think Miller Light, I think Coors Light, I think buckets, I think bowling yeah. alleys, pool halls, um, I think going to a ball game and getting the the cheaper draft beer because you can get more of that draft beer again cheaper. Um, but you're saying that even with those price points, people are no longer um, just fine with buy like they're they're okay with paying the extra few bucks for modello at a, a ballpark um i mean even at uh i get tiger i mean i don't know they don't have a i don't see modello too often at tiger stadium but i don't even like the line of kugel is like a dollar more than a uh, miller light so to me it's well worth paying a dollar or you go into the the craft bar and spend two dollars more than a miller light and i just think You'll get these people who uh, there's always going to be people that drink Bud Light, but I think once you expose some of them to something that's similar enough in flavor and the texture, it's just another lager beer, but it has a little bit more flavor. 
it was slowly start to change people. And I think the controversy just kind of sped that up a little bit. Now make sure when you're paying attention to those beers that you're not getting fooled by ounces <laughs> along with the price. Cause sometimes those line and Kugels are 16 ounces, whereas yeah. the Bud Lights are 24 ounces. But Wendy, what do you think? Uh, I agree. I don't think that um, Bud Light's going to jump back in. I do want to say you brought up the Modelo Negra. Um, the Modelo Amber is one of my favorites. Like, I haven't even seen that one. Places. Um, usually, well, the last place I had it was in the Dominican Republic, but nice. Um, it was. It's one of my favorites. It's a really good beer. Um, no, I, I don't think that it's going to come back. I think people once they realize they have other options and they started trying new things, um, I don't think they'll go back to it. So you think the they, they lost about 25% of their uh, sales due to these controversies. You think that 25%, probably not the whole 25%, but mo- enough of that 25% is gone that Modelo Especial is going to be the number one beer for time to come. Mm, I don't know that I would say Modelo is going to be number one for the time to come, but if they keep their marketing up the way they've been doing, I mean... Well, I guess question number two is who do you think is going to dethrone them and become the new king of beer? Oh, that's tough. I don't know that I can throw my hat in on that one. There's the um, American beer. There are five brands, I believe, that outsell the next import, which is Heineken. Um, Obviously, Modelo, Heineken. And then there's a lot. I believe that in the top 20 beer brands in the U.S. sold six are Mexican. Um, a lot of them are Corona, Corona Light, Modelo, Modelo. I think Modelo Negra is Tecate. one of them. Tecate, Dos Equis. Like there's, there's yeah. plenty of beers that are in the top 20 sales in the U.S. But when you're – this is also kind of like what we see with craft beer sales in, the, in Michigan where it's really top-heavy with Bells and Founders, quote-unquote, and even top-heavy with – the next brand shorts um i guess atwater you could put in there but atwater is not craft uh new holland old nation like PBR. those are pbr that's that's not in michigan damn <laughs> oh yeah oh sorry and and i think they're correct oh P- P- paps brewing is craft and i will fight you on that one rob <laughs> that was sending pictures at like 1 a.m last night like you've got definitions you're in the country I, I, we, we will take this offline, sirs, but yes, Paps Brewing is craft and I stand by it. And I also stand by, I am still waiting for Bart Watson to give me a, a thumbs up, thumbs down, but he has not given me a thumbs down yet. So I believe that it might be true. Um, so that was, was my article, my discussion. Um, I hope you enjoyed my little deep dive in history of, Uh, how Modelo set themselves up to be the number one beer here in the United States. Uh, But what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass it off uh, to Wendy because Wendy wants us to cut our beer drinking. Wait a minute. No, I don't. So (laughs) in a story that came out yesterday, uh, Dr. George F. Koob, the director of the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, I probably shouldn't say that after a couple of beers on the show, right? Um, has stated that Americans may soon be urged to limit their intake to two alcoholic beverages a week. Uh, for the last 
um, I don't know how many years, the U.S. has recommended the women that the U.S. has recommended that women limit themselves to one drink per day and men to two drink per day since the 1990s. So however many years that is, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> Why the changes? Well, apparently this guidance is up for review in 2025 and several reports have recently come out that warning that Americans are consuming alcohol at an alarming rate. According to the New York Post article, U.S. residents are drinking as much booze now as in Civil War days. And childless women 35 years old are at most rink of risk of binge drinking. Um, apparently, in January, Canada changed their guidelines to two alcoholic drinks per week. And Coob stated that he is very interested in seeing the impact of that change before they make any decisions on what their changes are in 2025. So I'm just curious about a couple of things. Um, before I go into that, I do want to say that all of we're going to post this article and that one in multiple articles said kept calling Coob Biden's alcohol czar, which um, I think is kind of funny since he was appointed in 2013. So I'm pretty sure that Biden wasn't the one who appointed him. So it's not like it's his guy, but, you know, um, anyways, <laughs> my question is, have you guys heard these reports that talk about Americans increase in alcoholism? And what are your opinions of this recommendation? I'm, I've seen. Oh, shoot. Go on, Rob. No, um, I, I, I've seen some articles that talk about it recently, recently, probably the last year or so. I talk about reducing the amount of alcohol per week down to like two drinks or three drinks and um per and week. Yeah. <laughs> well you even think about it. You, you you go to the doctor and they always ask you how many how many alcohol drinks do, do you oh, have I a lie. week? And and you like, don't lie? You're you're like wine. And they're like, wine, huh? And you're like, yeah, wine. And then they <laughs> probably write down six. Uh but because you know if you say six they're just gonna look at you like you're a raging alcoholic so and they're gonna put down 12 yes. so <laughs> so a funny anecdote my primary care physician listens to this show oh shit <laughs> didn't tell me until he, he he uh asked me and i said it and he goes oh yeah uh-huh and he goes <laughs> and he shows me his phone and it shows better on draft podcast oh, on the podcast app oh, and boy. i'm like oh no <laughs> He's like um, last last Friday, so you had four beers. Yeah, I watched you have four. I beers. watched you have four. <laughs> watched you live do it. Yeah, so are you <laughs> telling me you had negative two beers this week, <laughs> other than that night? No. Um, I'm I'm actually a little bit shocked about this because we've talked about how Gen Z is actually drinking less than millennials. And like a significant amount, not like, oh, by like 2%, by like 20%, they drink less than millennials. Now, we can sum that up to a lot of different things from the, the different geopolitical and American political uh, things that are going on between um, student debt, 9-11, uh, like all these things that have happened within a millennial's lifetime as they were growing and maturing. Um, you know, Dan, that was like the great depression for you. Yeah. Exact same thing. Like the yeah. same thing happened. Um, 
whereas Gen Z is drinking a lot less. And we've talked about even with, uh, you know, the, the folks at Two Roots and Athletic Brewing, like all these NA options, mocktail options, like the drinking in moderation. And we even see it on um, a handful of like social media content where like millennials are kind of like the the drunkards of every generation because what else are they going to do but drink and um, eat hot chip? Um <laughs> So, yeah, this is kind of like a, a shocking thing for me to have Biden's czar or the alcohol czar, or the alcohol dude say we need to go down to two drinks per week. So there's a couple things I want to point out that both Rob and Ken said. Rob, were, did you hear about the two drinks per week because it's something that they just changed in Canada? Is that where those stories are coming from? <laughs> Um, I believe what I read was just them talking about doing it in the, or making the recommendation in the U S I mean, it may have been connected to Canada, but I can't really specifically say. But have you heard anything about the fact that al- the alcoholism is on the rise in the U S? Um, definitely articles that came out like pandemic and a little bit post pandemic where they talked about because people were at home, they tended to drink more and, you know, it wasn't so much binge drinking, but because you would drink every day, three, four, five drinks, and it just became more habitual, I think, for people, which very well could be an issue just because of the times. But I think I'm pretty sure that's not just yeah. us here. Um, Ken, Hi. you mentioned Gen Z. Yes. So I just youngins. looked it up, and Gen Z is technically between nine and twenty-four years old. And That's this article so specifically hard. called out women who are thirty-five years old. I mean, I'm not a woman so that's that childless and thirty-five. Right? That would be, I believe, that would still be in the the millennial territory. Um, that's definitely well. That's that's still on like the even the high end of the millennial territory. Um, as I am 36, I believe 37. Oh shit. I'm 37. Um, so that's even the high end. I mean, if you're gen X, you're 43. So uh, I'm that's, that's, that's the low end of gen X though. Like millennial goes say, to about 80, 84, 83. If you're younger, the, if you're younger, if you're younger than 43, you're a millennial basically. Yes. I, so, I think there are a lot of people 20 that 20 and 40. According to Google, yeah, forty I think is the the age are. for millennials. Between I think anything over 40. forty is still X, and that's the bottom part of X. It's that that zenial is what they call it X E N N I A L zenial. Um, Stupid name. It's, it's, a, honestly, it's a Star Trek uh, race we're going to meet someday. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of those things where it's it's uh, a population that still isn't as old as Gen X but really isn't as young as like millennials. Like they, they were still lights on on the street uh, uh, type of kids. Did you say that's millennial? No, that's when you come home. Oh yeah. Like that's, yeah. Like that's, that's still Gen Xy. Like I'd never had that. Like I, Um, by the time I was um, not even in high school, like uh, when I started high school is when I worked for a cell phone shop and I had a cell phone myself because, you know, that's the thing. I don't like kids, when I get a cell phone. <laughs> I got a cell phone in 2001. Um, 
And that's because I worked for a cell phone company, so I got one. Um, but yeah, kids my age did not have How them. old were you when you got it? 15, 14? Yeah, okay. We'll not talk about that. Anyways. Yeah, I was 18 in 1998. <laughs> so what do you guys think about the two drinks per week recommendation? Yeah, who, whoever wrote that's a cop. Let's be real. <laughs> Just say whoever wrote that's a cop? Yeah. Or they're just really nice people because, you know, they're from Canada. <laughs> no, they're probably a cop. Like, why are you trying to stop me from drinking anything? We, Get the hell out of here. You're when compared to the Civil War? Like, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Again, the whole media take on this whole thing, they were trying to make it, they were trying to scare us. I saw, I read like four or five different articles that mentioned Biden's alcohol czar. And they talked about, um, like, the drastic changes and stuff. But it's not until 2025 that they're even going to review these recommendations. And they review them every few years or every so many years. Well, not few years, because it was 1990 was the last time they did it. 2025, they're now going to review them. Which makes sense. Here's what I think is that there is... It's we we talked about it prior to the the show going live is that it is a type of um statement where it's a little bit over drastic. Remember when uh Jennifer Granholm in Michigan made meatless Mondays and everyone just got pissed off about it because they're like I'm going to eat my steak extra raw today. Um extra raw. I'm going to go kill myself. Oh, yeah. Black and blue, yeah, yeah. still, blue still rare, blue rare, yes, uh, still mooing. Um, but oh, yeah. th- those are the kinds of responses that happen with this. It's the same with, and I know we don't get political, but at least there is allegories within the the comments that I'm making, like when um, eating less meat for global warming, like that kind of statement happens, and then everyone's like, oh, they don't want, you know, they want to take your hamburgers away. I'm like, I. I think there's a lot of one. There is a lot of um, overcorrection that is happening. And two, I think it's a lot of scare tactics just to piss you off. Rage baiting. Um, Dan knows a lot about rage baiting. Well, yeah, I'm still waiting for a certain former president to come knocking on my door to try and take things. So listen, I'm still waiting for (laughs) Kwame Kilpatrick to give me the free beer. He owes me the Red Wings winning the 08 Stanley Cup. I need mine too. I was there for that. We all need that. Um, so, so I, I understand, like, obviously they're taking point from Canada because of just, you know what Canada has said and what it's done. So they're trying to follow that trend because they have the same data and information as Canada does. Um, But I think there are better ways to address it, but they're less sexy. Um, For example, uh, we haven't really talked about it on the show. I don't think, but how big 10 schools are going to allow alcohol at the venues for me. For me, one, it's a it's a great way to boost money and sales in sight. But two, I see this as a way to get people to stop um, tailgating, binge drinking, Mm -hmm. preloading and getting into the stadium and at least drinking there because there is a two drink limit while you're in there. 
if you know you can drink in the stadium, you're probably less likely to front load your alcohol. And when you go in there, know you can drink. So it's like now, oh, I don't have to drink these two extra beers before we walk over to you know the big house. I can just go there and buy a beer and eat the 10 bucks or whatever it costs, or 20 bucks probably, um, to buy a beer and go from there. Now, that's my opinion, but as we kind of talked about how there wasn't a study for the last 25 years for this, there hasn't been a study on alcohol sales in college stadiums um, sufficient enough yet that matches a actual thing that happened in the early 90s in Canada. Only dumb reason I know this is because my friend's a freaking traffic engineer for MDOT who did his doctorate thesis on fucking Michigan U-turns, Michigan lefts. Like, that's <laughs> that's how I know this random fact. So where he disagrees with me um, because he believes that, you know, any drinking is bad and you don't want to have drunk driving in any case, and he believes that people will drink more to be in the stadium. Um, I think it's a way where you don't run into an issue where people are – um, as I kept using the phrase front loading, um, I mean, I'm Dan, Rob, Wendy, do you agree? Disagree? Like at least uh, regarding college pre-gaming I, tailgating, I can there. see that people may take the advantage of drinking in the stadium now, but I feel like tailgating has just become part of that culture. And while exactly. you may get a few people to not do it, I think the bulk of people that do do it, will continue to do it because they make a whole day of it. They get there at 7 a.m. They're cooking food and drinking, and it's it's part of that whole experience. Here's, here's my counter, and if you've ever been to Ford Field prior to the game where they do their Miller Lite discounted beer sale at like 11 a.m., they get people, so many people out from the tailgate into the stadium – to drink 375 Miller Lights. Well, it's not a bad deal. I'll, I'll counter that counter, though, because you said there's a two-drink limit. So, Well, that was the, the college. That was the yeah. college. Yeah, there so, isn't at, at Ford Field. No, but at, but at, at college with a two-drink limit, nobody's going to go in early to knock out their two beers and no, they're not they're they're not going to go in early, but I feel like there's still a mentality where they're not going to uh treat their alcohol consumption where they have to get so much alcohol in before they go in because the alcohol will be available to them in the stadium. I mean, yeah, you, I mean it's okay to disagree with me. Right? I agree with Rob on this. You know, <laughs> you know bring I'm, it on. I'm, I'm, we usually I'm, do. I'm right outside of ASU. Our games here are normally at 7 p.m. Pacific, 7.30. Um, everyone's out there partying all day. You're not going to stop that from happening. People aren't going to be knocking back Milwaukee's best ice all day to go have two beers inside of the stadium. It's just not going to happen. I, so, it, so it, it is, It's a culture. It really is. People go there to do this whole thing. But I don't think this is an attempt to eliminate tailgating. I think it's an attempt to eliminate that last beer you have before. Like when uh, I went to the Offspring at um, Pine Knob two days ago, and I had tailgating there too. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, my God. Um, Especially I uh, another story, another time. Anyway, so we had a (laughs) crawler of Parker's Hilltop. I had a crawler of their Vienna Lager. 
and we started drinking it and we were looking at the the timer on setlist.fm and it says you know usually this band starts at this time and we're like shit we need to go in so we're slamming the beers as we're walking into pine knob and now because i knew i could get beers inside i'm like you know what i don't have to finish this beer i can just go inside and watch the show and drink a beer um and i I think a lot of it is mentality and thought i don't think it's you're not going to stop tailgating i mean um like looked at look at uh dan we went to go see SummerSlam. like how many people were out and about drinking at bars oh yeah up until SummerSlam started Big like time. every single bar was packed of wrestling fans yeah um it doesn't matter the event it doesn't matter anything but the fact that you allow alcohol in these stadiums is i, I we've completely hijacked when these articles yeah we are <laughs> but that's 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 my point i'm gonna Pass it back to Wendy to keep talking about our article. I'm sorry. So I'm actually just going to end on what Ken was talking about, and I'm going to give my opinion. Um, I agree with the guys that I don't think it's going to stop tailgating, but I do agree with Ken that it will change your mentality, not necessarily right off the bat, but over time it will make people, people will start thinking about the fact that they can get beer in the stadium and, Ken, I love the fact that you tailgated, you pre-gamed with a Vienna lager before you went to see an offspring. That's the best. So I'm going to let you pass the article on to the next person. Uh, Parker's Hilltop. uh, I had their spinach artichoke pierogies. Amazing food up there. Uh, The beer was great. I had their all beer. um, And yes, yes. (laughs) There was an all beer. So of course I had it. Um, no, the, the beer was awesome. The food was great. I had, I have never ate and drank there. I've had their beer, but I've never ate and drank there, but like, it was so good. Uh, Rob. Yes. Welcome to the show. What do you want to talk about today? Um, today with the, uh, fires that they've had in Hawaii, um, uh, I'm going to talk about Garrett Marrero and Maui Brewing are, are stepping up to support local communities. Uh, so basically, Garrett Murrah, who's the CEO and co-founder of Crack Ohana, which includes Maori Brewing and Maori Times in uh, Kihei, Hawaii, uh, he's been working to make connections with uh, local uh, charities um, to get donations to them uh, and help out the people that have been affected by this fire. Um, he stated that 136 of their employees have lost their homes in the fires, which is 40% of their total entire employee count. Um, Also, Maui Brewing is uh, setting up a beer called the uh, Kokua beer, uh, very similar to when Sierra did the Resilience beer back in 2018 to help out the wildfires in California, uh, in which they'll release a recipe that any brewery can replicate, sell, and donate a portion of their sales or whatever they see fit to the recovery efforts in uh, Maui. So I'll jump on this here. You know, I love this. Uh, you guys know I spent a lot of time in Hawaii these last few years. This is devastating what happened there. Um, and, you know, the saying has always been that, you know, Hawaii is a state, but it's treated like a territory. And it really does feel like that even with this. So I'm really glad Maui Brewing, we've had them on the show before. They're amazing people. 
I think it was the brewer Ken, if you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that we yeah, had that on was, here. Uh, Kim Briss and Lutz. Yeah, they are amazing people. And the fact that they're stepping up for this when it feels like a lot of people aren't stepping up for the devastation that's happening there, I really do enjoy this. I'm glad it's happening. Yeah, it was definitely something that I kind of wondered if they were going to uh, present. Uh, I had immediately thought of the wildfires in California when those occurred. And so I definitely always feel like that's something that the brewing community uh, does embrace is trying to help out areas that people have been affected by things. And, you know, it's just a, a true community to help out and do something like that. And we've seen this from other things before. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but New Belgium did that beer. That was a bad tasting beer. If you guys are called Wendy and Ken, mm-hmm. that it was, just, I don't know, was it to stop global warming or whatever it was, but it's really good to see companies step up like this. Yeah, it was uh, Torched Earth was the name of the the beer. It was 40 bucks for two four-packs, so an eight-pack of 16-ounce cans. Uh, And the profits went to Protect Our Winners, a Colorado-based group devoted to fighting climate change. Um, Yeah, we've always been proponents of uh, these types of beers, beers with a cause. Um, obviously, Wendy, your professional uh, charity donator, um, time donator, uh, volunteer. That's the word I was looking for. Professional volunteer. Um, you know, she does a lot with a lot of different organizations. Obviously, when we had Marcus uh, from Weathered Souls on back in 2020, um, like that, that was for Black is Beautiful. Obviously, I've worn um, and, and not just like there. there's, you know, both geographical there's climate there's political there's apolitical uh like i have my um anti-racist beer shirt for rat magnet who got sued by a bunch of breweries for telling everyone's stories um breweries always seem to uh, know where to to do their part and we had it a lot with the feel good tap here in metro detroit for a while where a lot of uh, times a brewery would have a donation for a specific tap handle go to a charity. Uh, but as we had on our Michigan beer series with loaded dice, like there are a lot of governmental red tape yes. that occurs when you're trying to donate your, your time, money and effort, specifically the money when it comes to alcohol. So I'm extremely happy that they were able to uh, start this. I hope that a lot of breweries start um, handling it. I know Kim Briston Lutz has done a lot within the industry to where a lot of people know who she is and want would will want to help her. Um, but but as Dan says, I think there's a lot of like you know we don't think of Hawaii as our own as often as we should because it is our own, and I think um, it may get. You know, it needs the the push. Um, and I think there is a lot of like it kind of happened and that was it. The media coverage is not necessarily there anymore. Um, so we just need to make sure that it, it, it continues to get there. So um, what is do we have a, a website that they can look at? Is there a place where you can sign up, Rob? Um, um. I would say probably the Maui Brewing website um, would have the most up-to-date info. 
Um, they do have four different um, charities that they are supporting, uh, which is the NBC Fire Fund, which uh, basically helps to uh, meet the cash needs for people who are underinsured, uh, need assistance uh, in these situations where they lost their home and can't cover the insurance costs to be able to get that payout check. Um, the, the legacy of Aloha Foundation, uh, is specific uh, as a Maui Brewing uh, Foundation, and they help to displace or cover the cost for those that have been displaced and lost their belongings. Uh, the Mackay Foundation, uh, which is local businesses that have banded together to uh, help with the rebuilding efforts, and the Hawaii Community Foundation, uh, a local charity that helps to also give funds. Uh, to help people um, overcome the challenges that they're experiencing with replacing their belongings and finding shelter. And if you're listening to this podcast, of course, check out the show notes, both on our video and our audio. Uh, you'll be able to grab, uh, we grabbed all this information from probrewer.com, uh, which you will be able to get the information should you want to be part of uh, the cause and want to brew a beer for them. I know we got a lot of brewery friends that are in there, um, as well as if you want to donate, those are the donate. Uh, the places that Maui Brewing Company suggests to donate to, they're all 501c3, so they're all tax um, credits. And, of course, as we get to the end of the year, it's the best time to start donating. So if you got some uh, extra money, go and donate. Dan. Yeah, so one more thing I wanted to throw about the last thing, too. I oh, just, go for um, it. just found this out. Maui Brewing actually has a location in Lahaina, so they yes. might also be impacted by this, too. Yeah, so I, I do know that location is closed, obviously. Actually, they have two locations that are closed. There's another one that's pretty close to Lahaina that was also affected from the fires. So, so yeah, just keep those people in mind because they are our fellow Americans, even though they're 4,000 miles away. Um, what I wanted to talk about is, you know, coming up in the week, we have Labor Day, you know, and it's usually a pretty big celebrated uh, holiday. A lot of you guys out there, it is the end of the summer. Um, but interesting article coming out is that we are seeing um, a significant decrease in people who are going to celebrate. Only 60% of the people who are questioned are planning to celebrate the holiday. It's a 15% decline from 2022. And um, more than or 86% of those people who are going to celebrate are going to implement money-saving feature or measures. Um, for this holiday. Um, so I know we've talked about it before about the holidays that we think are just dumb because there are a lot of drinking holidays. It, are you guys starting to feel the pressure of just not celebrating because of, you know, increasing costs, things like that, you know, beer. There's always been a saying that people will lower the quality of beer before they'll cut it out. They'll cut out other things. But is this something, number one, are you planning to celebrate Labor Day? Number two, are you planning to cut back or lower the cost of what you do for it? Ken, I'm going to start with you. Oh, of course. <laughs> I always uh, do. Uh, Wendy, you mentioned that you wanted to say something on the last article. I want to make sure you get oh, in there yeah. first. Oh, yeah. I did. Jump in Sorry, I was muted. And I just wanted to say that I do have family in Hawaii. They're actually on Oahu. And they were actually here when the fire started and when all that happened. So... I just wanted to 
say that I will definitely be following up and keeping up on all of the different fundraisers that are happening and make sure that everybody knows how they can help out because I know that they know their friends and family were devastated. So, well, uh, to follow that up, um, yeah, obviously <laughs> that's, oh God, it's such a shitty thing over in Hawaii it and it sucks yeah. and it's big time. It's, it's it's something you just can't control. Like we can't control here. The best thing we can do, and it, it sucks to say it, the best thing we can do is throw money. Um, because I have no skills um as a beer podcaster to assist uh the, the folks over there. So uh donations are probably gonna be the best way that I can help for sure. Um, but uh as we get into these holidays for me, and I think this might be a a family thing, but as we get older, like in my family specifically, like we are celebrating less and less holidays together. Um, every single year, like in the nineties, like every single birthday, we were all together every single holiday, every like, and when I say holiday, like Thanksgiving, Labor Day, Memorial Day, 4th of July, like it, it was all a reason to get together. Whereas now I think one because we have a interconnection with everyone that is quick, fast, and easy. Um, you don't necessarily need to have that time to meet up, catch up, and see what's going on because you know everything that's happened the last 10 years on Facebook. Um, so I think that's why a lot of my family personally has stopped doing a lot of these get-togethers is simply just because of that. Um, even with the the want to get together post-COVID, uh, I think it's still always going to be now limitations. It's going to be limited limited to um, you know Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, and maybe Fourth of July, and that's it. Like th- th- those are the holidays, and that's just when we'll see each other. Um, so I think that if I were to guess, mind you, my story is anecdotal. Um, extrapolate that to everyone else and that a lot of people, because we see each other, those holidays don't mean anything anymore to a lot of people. We don't need to catch up on Labor Day because you're going to know about what's going on in your grandma's life because she's posted four Instagram posts in the last week. Um, Like these are the kinds of things that it's just a different territory. So as holidays come in, I think we're going to see more event based meetups. Um, And what I mean by that is concerts, uh, sporting events, like that's the reason why people are going to meet up. And that's the reason why people are going to celebrate is for those events, for those celebrations. Um, So, yeah, I think we're not going to like Dan. I think this is just the start of the decline of these types of events. Memorial Day, Labor Day uh, and even Fourth of July, I'll throw in there. Um, So, you know, it's July is a big holiday out here. I'll say that, but I want you touched on something. I actually am glad you said. So, are you basically saying your family doesn't get together anymore because of social media? So, sorry, Grandma, I don't need to see you because you posted on Instagram. So let's let's add the caveat. Uh, both uh, matriarchy and patriarchies on both sides of the family have passed. Okay. Um, therefore, my mother and my father are the the highest level, along with their siblings. Okay. Um, on both sides. So uh, now also I'm uh, kid free. My, my sister's kid free. So there's no grandchildren. Um, so this can also be a very 
you know, again, as I mentioned, it's anecdotal. Like, Dan, I know you got kids. Um, you know, Wendy, you got Graham. And I know a lot of people want to make sure they spend their time with Graham. Um, these things don't exist in my family because that just doesn't happen. There's no, there's very limited grandkids. Like, out of all the the my level cousins, there ain't too many lower level cousins. Um, God, we got a million. <laughs> Which yeah, is so- good because they're all awesome. So, so I guess Wendy, are are you out there celebrating Memorial Day, Labor Day, Fourth of July? So we don't do holidays like that. I was I was just thinking about everything that you were just saying because we just had our sixtieth family reunion, and okay. we had more than thirty five people there, and like we had people from Hawaii, we had people from all over the United States that come to this family reunion. So, but it's it's not every year that they come. But at least once a year, we give them the opportunity to get together. So I don't think it's necessarily social media. It's that we don't, people don't want to travel to see the same people, I think. I think that's horrible to say. But they want to go. It's a and terrible do thought. And see different, they want to go and do different things and see different people and, and kind of explore things, I think is more the mindset of the younger generations, then we need to all get together all the time. And most like, what do they care about Labor Day? I, let you me know, I also say the unofficial end of Labor summer. Day Go ahead, Rob. Isn't important to them. I'd also say, I think a lot of younger people, especially kind of realize that they don't have to deal with their family. If their family isn't a positive experience for them. They're not going to go out right. and say, I better travel far distance to come hang out with people that I re- wouldn't even hang out with them if they weren't related to me. I, I I think you hit a nail that not many people talk about is the fact that there are a lot of folks in our generations, uh, both Gen X, uh, Gen Y, Millennials, Gen Z, that are not like, oh, you have to because they are the grandma. Oh, you have to because they are the matriarch. Like, I think a lot of that has started to change. Um, the, oh, you have to, to where you want to see these people. So you'll go and you see them. Yeah. Um, but Dan, you keep saying the start of the summer. Um, end of summer. It's end, end of excuse summer. Me, the end of summer. Thank yeah. you. Correct. Uh, I hate to tell you, but like I have so many people on my Facebook talking about their kids starting school like two weeks ago. Uh, mm-hmm. s- summer's over. For I mean, we we start school here in Arizona the first week of August. So there's yeah, that, summer's but, over. But that's that's the unofficial official end of summer is when that, kids that, go back. It to used school. to be that the is end when of summer. Dan's summer begins. He finally gets to enjoy his kids not being at home. one thing i do want to point out from this article just because of what you talked about ken um is that the company that did this survey noted that gen z and millennial consumers actually accounted for much of the growth um in liquor sales categories over the last year um but it was driven by their preference for beatbox beverages cut water spirits and high noon so while they're not drinking beer these last two generations, including Gen Z, are picking up these RTDs and seltzers. So I don't think they're not drinking as much. I just think they're they're just not drinking as much beer as we do. 
So I had to look at what beatbox is. I have and... no idea what beatbox is, <laughs> but I know the it, other two. So it, it, it looks as as trendy as like maybe what '90s Four Loco would have been. Um, <laughs> they were on Shark Tank, and that's just my guess. Is it, it looks like uh, coconut water bottles, but oh, it's eleven point one percent alcohol by oh, volume. We're, we're going. It hard. says try frozen non carbonated. Oh, oh my God! Um, I don't even know what that means. Just don't go into it. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, what's I? I think with all of our articles this week, it really kind of shows a like both the ebbs and flows of what marketing media and stats will tell us, because you know. My generation, you know, your guys' generation, Gen Z, like we both have seen that they're drinking more and they're drinking less. They're drinking way too much and they're not drinking enough. They're drinking this and they're not drinking that. Like I I would love to maybe go into a deep dive in a later show to try to understand where all of these uh, kids are drinking. Whereas I, I don't know. It's just. It's just weird because I'm looking at the article too, which of course, if you go to our show notes, you can see the articles as well. Um, I have no idea. I don't know. Call me out on my bullshit. I might be just you. You can find a report that will support any opinion you have. That's true. <laughs> my opinion, Dan is super old. Yeah. Hey, you come out to the Red Wings game out here in March. I'll show you where all the kids are drinking at. I uh, I did see that it is in March. Have you March. told them to get off your lawn? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think Dan has a lawn. I don't have a lawn. <laughs> well, I wouldn't either in Arizona. That's a lot of work to keep up. Yeah, screw that. All right. Two well, and a cactus. <laughs> two boulders <laughs> and a cactus. That's going to do it. Better on draft the craft beer news segment for August 25th. My name is Ken. For my co-hosts, Wendy, Dan, and Rob, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. We will be back next week to learn about brewery architecture. And then we will be off in two weeks for the UP Beer Festival. That's right. I will be at the UP Beer Festival. Come say hi. Say hello. I am excited to go. And no matter what you think of your beer, we think it's... Better on draft. Have a good night. Cheers.